Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. My bad. All right. Let's, um, let's start off a little bit different. Let's stand to read God's word. Um, our main passage for today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. So just two verses. So Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says this. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, They went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. You may be seated. and pray that God's word will speak to us this morning. Um, There's there's a Christmas song that goes, for there's no place like home for the holidays. How many of you heard that song? All right, most of you. Great line, great song, but I don't know if it's true. For most of us, when we kicked off this series, we heard from a few people um, that said the timing was impeccable, right? What better time to discuss our imperfect origins than sandwiched between the two times of year that most of us see our families, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you see, what happens is for many of us, whenever we get with our families, the proximity to them, it has a way of bringing up all of these feelings of Bitterness and resentment from our past hurts. For those of us who didn't grow up in the Bay Area and don't have family here, it's honestly kind of nice not to be surrounded by the family drama for most of the year. But whenever we travel back home for the holidays, the relief that distance provided evaporates. It evaporates. And here's something that's true. The holidays have a way of bringing families together But for many of our families, the closer together we are, the more apart we feel. And that's unfortunate. Now, the reason we are having two gatherings today is because a good bit of our community has already headed back to be with their families, so they missed out. You guys are going to get the key to solving all of your family problems today, okay? So good job for being here. Um, Not really, right? But, But we do hope to wrap up this series by discussing a necessary component in our journey to finding healing and freedom from our less than perfect families. It's a necessary component component in that process to finding healing. You see, um, throughout the series, we have been looking at the imperfect um, family members in Jesus' family tree. 
right? We've been looking at, we looked at, we started off with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons. And then we talked about um, Ruth and Naomi, right? And then we talked about David. All right, so we've been looking at those imperfect characters in Jesus' family tree. And we all know that Jesus was, was perfect, right? He had no sin. But his immediate family wasn't always tidy. Right? They had a little bit of a flair for drama. So let, let's just run through a few of those instances that the Bible reports or records about some of the drama in Jesus' family. For starters, Mary, Jesus' mom, was pregnant, but her husband-to-be was not the baby's father. Joseph was not the baby daddy, all right? And this, as you can imagine, it created a little bit of drama in the family. And if you don't know how that story is resolved, you got to read the Bible. It's fascinating, all right? That's one instance. Here's another one. How about the fact that one time Jesus' parents forgot and left Jesus alone in Jerusalem? They forgot him. They were there for his festival. They all headed back home, which... They did not live in Jerusalem. They lived in Nazareth in Galilee. That's like you forgetting your child in Sacramento <laughs> living here. And hear this. They couldn't find him for four days. Four days. Come on. This is like the original Home Alone, right? This is where they got <laughs> the storyline from. Four days. And I, and I, you know, parents, you ever can't spot your kid in the playground in four seconds and your heart starts beating fast? Can you imagine even one day? Four days, four days. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were at each other's throat blaming each other for the irresponsibility, saying he was with you, he was with you, right? And then there's a situation that we just read about. This is another instance. Our main passage kind of highlights another situation that could have brought some drama. You see, Jesus is just doing his thing, right? There's kind of like a repetitive, repetitive terms are used here. Like it says that he entered a house and again, a crowd gathered, right? He's, he's, he's teaching, he's with the crowds. And when his family hears about what is happening and some of the things that he is doing, it says that they go, they go to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind, he is out of his mind. The word used here and translated as take charge is a very strong word that literally means they went to arrest him, they went to tie him up, and they went to grab him. What was it about what Jesus was doing that caused his family to react this way? Now, if Mary was a Puerto Rican mom, it would have been the fact that Jesus had not eaten, all right? That... <laughs> You guys think I'm joking, but it is in the DNA of, of Puerto Rican moms to make sure that their kids are well-fed, especially their little boys. All right? I could get in any kind of trouble, and my mom only cared about if I ate. Right? Her favorite questions to me, to me was, did you eat? All right? But Mary wasn't Puerto Rican. She was Jewish, okay? So more than likely, it went beyond him not being able to eat. More than likely, they went to take charge of Jesus because... Hear this, they were ashamed of him. They were ashamed of him. You see, Jesus was a bit radical, a bit radical. Come on, Th this isn't a proud mama going to see if her baby boy had eaten. No, no, no. Think about it. What is true now was true then, that relatives will try to hide the behavior of a family member when they think that behavior can bring shame on the family. 
And so they were going to take charge of Jesus because they wanted him to stop. When shame enters the picture, it brings all kinds of havoc and conflict in a family. Things get personal. Insults get thrown around, right? They said, he's crazy about Jesus. And when all that stuff begins to happen, feelings get hurt. Feelings get hurt. Now, I know that he's, that he's the son of God, but I want to ask you a question. How do you think this made Jesus feel, his family coming to take charge of him, trying to stop him from doing what he was called to do? How do you think that made him feel? For some of us, that, that's just a hard question, right? It's hard for us to recognize or realize that Jesus was fully human. We, we only think about the fully God part, but he also was fully human. So if, if you can't process that in your, your mind, how, how it made Jesus feel, let me ask you, how would you feel in that situation? How would you, how would you feel? I don't know about you, but I, even, I always wanted to make my parents proud. Not only as a child, but even entering my adult years. I always wanted to make my parents proud. And I loved it when, like my dad, before he passed away in April, he, he would call me and he said, he would say, man, I heard your message from this Sunday. Oh, man, it was good. It was good. It was good. And, and, and whenever we would talk and... You know, whether we were in person or over the phone, and I would tell him how things are going here, he's like, man, you're doing good. I'm proud of you. And I'm so thankful for those moments. It made me feel closer to him. But I know the opposite would have been true if he would have been disappointed in me. Rather than it warming my heart, rather me feeling closer to him, it would have caused a deep wound and scar. It would have hurt. It would hurt had he been disappointed in me. And even worse, had he been indifferent towards me. Guys, th this message is not about whether or not we have made our parents proud, but I do want us to consider the type of relationship that we have with our parents. And even, even if a parent has passed away, you still relate to them in a certain way. You see, because the parent-child relationship is the most impactful relationship that a person will ever have the most impactful relationship that a person will ever have. Parents have the greatest potential of making the biggest impact for good in a child's life, but also they hold the power to hurt you the most. Again, just think about Jesus. Jesus was popular with some people, but not with all. He knew rejection well, but don't tell me that the rejection from his family, from his own mother, did not have a greater bite or sting than the rest. Don't tell me that. I don't think that's true. The impact of wounds from a parent are multiplied. They're multiplied. So let me ask you guys some questions. And you don't have to raise your hand for these questions. But have you been hurt by a parent? Are there unresolved issues in your family? Is there a great desire in you to just cut all ties in order to avoid the drama?
I'm sure that all of us could raise our hand to at least one of those questions. But the unfortunate thing is that most of us might raise our hand to all of them. What I want to talk to us about today is forgiveness. Forgiveness. How do we forgive a parent that has hurt us or abandoned us? How do we forgive a parent that continues to hurt us? And here's probably one of the most important question, questions for us to wrestle with, some of us to wrestle with. How do we forgive when they haven't repented, apologized, or recognized the wrong they have committed? Guys, whether it's a spouse, a friend, a colleague, a child, a sibling, forgiving people is hard. But it's especially challenging when it's apparent. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around how the two people that should have loved us the most end up hurting us the most. Many of us have been on the receiving end of abandonment, anger, abuse, marital infidelity, judgment, criticism, and other dysfunctional behaviors from our parents. So the fact that you might have a strained relationship with your parents, it's not a surprise. But it doesn't have to stay that way. It shouldn't, for our sake and for the sake of others. Guys, in order for our families and the communities that we're a part of, in order for our families and communities to flourish, we will need to learn and practice ways of forgiving those who have had the greatest impact on us, and that's our mothers and our fathers. But let me add this disclaimer. What we are talking about today is not only about our parents, right? We haven't only been hurt by them. We don't only need to forgive mom and dad. This is also true for the wounds inflicted by our friends and colleagues and coworkers and all those people I mentioned earlier, grandparents, and even our spouse. The point is, is that we can't thrive as long as we harbor unforgiveness. And so because of this imperfect origin series that we are in and the major role that our parents play in our lives, it is necessary for us to focus in on our mothers and fathers. You see, many of us have an unhealthy relationship and rhythm. You guys know those rhythms with our parents. We have an unhealthy relationship and rhythms with our parents. You see, we dislike how they continue to hurt us, whether it's with their words or their behaviors or their insensitivity. And so all we want to do is just push them away. But at the same time, they're our mom and dad, and all we want is our mom and dad. So there's this push and pull taking place in our hearts, this hate and this longing. We want out and in at the very same time. And my message for you today, as painful as it might be for some of you to hear, is that God is calling you to stay in. Not unwisely, not foolishly. But he's calling you to stay in, and not just to stay in, but to love and to forgive. But how do we do that? How do we forgive when we're still hurting, 
when it, when it feels unfair, when there's no easy resolution. I've got to admit, this, this is where it becomes hard for me as a teacher and a communicator. And it's not because the Bible is silent on our need to forgive or our motivation for forgiveness. No, no, no. It becomes hard for me because I know this is where it becomes hard for you. You see, it's, it's, it's challenging to teach on forgiveness, but it's even harder to practice forgiveness. And so the question I had to wrestle with is, how do I motivate you to confront your pain and step into the messiness of forgiveness, which quite frankly might lead to more pain? On my first draft for this message, I had three points on how and why we forgive. In, in seminary, you're taught that every good message has three points. It's not true, but I was like, let me just take this approach. I, I had three things that I was like, this is good. I'm going to teach it. And I got to tell you, it, it was a solid three points, right? It, it, I mean, they were biblical. It was practical. But here's the problem that I realized. It was so practical that it wasn't helpful, I don't know if that makes sense to some of you, but it was, it was so practical that it wasn't helpful. My three points made forgiveness seem easy. And if forgiveness is anything, that's one thing that it's not. It's not easy. And guys, you don't want and you don't need pat answers. And hear me out. When I, when I say pat answers, when I say that, I'm not diminishing the value and power of God's word. But what I realized is the way that I had my message structured, what I was actually doing, I was diminishing and devaluing your pain and your experience. Everything I had was true, but it was purely superficial. It was just words, but there was no heart, no spirit behind it. And here's where I went wrong. Here's where I went wrong. I was hoping to help you heal without causing more pain. I was trying to give you the textbook answers because I didn't want to cause you more pain. And I was hoping that magically they would just do something in you and you could walk out free. But that's not possible. I forgot what we often forget. And it's that our healing is always on the other side of the cross and our surrender. Always. Guys, we can't avoid our pain and expect things to get better. Negligence is never a solution. None of us would do that with a cut or a physical wound, right? You, if you ignore it, it doesn't get better. It doesn't heal on its own. In fact, the more severe the wound, the more attention it requires. And, and, and you don't need a pat answer or more knowledge. What you need is an encounter with the love and the presence of God. And in that encounter... You will see your perspective change on all your hurts, on all your past hurts, and it will give you a hope for the future. That encounter with the love and presence of God is the only thing that's going to make a difference. That's the only thing that's going to bring freedom and healing and make it possible for you to forgive those who have hurt you. It's the only thing. That encounter, that time in the presence of God. So let me ask you a question. I probably have more questions than answers today, but with a difficult topic like this, I think that's spot on. Here's the question. 
Have you brought your pain, your wounds, and even your rage to God? Have you done that yet? I was listening to a um, podcast the other day, um, and the guest on the podcast was an author by the name of Terry Wardle. And he was talking about the importance and need for us to heal from our wounds. And, And he said this, every wound in life needs to be confronted in the presence of Christ so we can be freed from it. Every wound in life needs to be confronted in the presence of Christ so that we can be freed from it. And then he goes on to quote another author, and he says this, Rage before God at the offense of another is the only way to take that offense off of you. So he's saying confront the wound before Christ in the presence of Christ and rage against the offense of another before God. You're wounded. You're angry. Bring it before God. But we tend to do the opposite. We either bring our pain and rage to our parents so they can fix it, or so at the very least so that they can just hear, so that we can take a little stab at them, how much they've hurt us. But guys, and you know this, unless they are in a healthy place, it's just going to make matters worse if you come like that. Or the other thing that we do is we just bottle it up. And what ends up happening is when we just bottle it up, we stuff it down, we push it down, we try to forget about it, man, that wound just festers. That bitterness just grows and increases. And it truly does make matters worse. But there's another option. We have another option. Jesus says to us, he invites us, he says, come, cast your burdens on me. Bring me your wound and your pain. Throw them on me. Bring them to me. It's almost like he's inviting us into our own very uh, moment of of the Garden of Gethsemane, where he himself cried out to God, knowing what was to come in the future, asking God to take that cup from him to see if there was another way. But God invites us to bring our past, our hurts, and to just lay it before him. For us to cry out to God, God, why did you even give me this parents? God, why did you allow our family to go through this pain? God, why am I hurting so much? God, I don't know if I can forgive. Listen, whatever it is that you are experiencing and feeling, he wants you to bring it to him. And he can handle the raw and brutal honesty of your story. And it's going to take that level of vulnerability with God for your healing process to begin. You have to be vulnerable before him. You have to confront your wounds in the presence of Christ. And rage before him at the offense of another. Now you might be saying... I have moved on from my hurt and pain. Bringing this back up, well, it's just going to make matters worse. I'm going to feel terrible. I don't know if I want to take that risk. What's the risk reward here? Well, let me tell you something. If it hasn't happened already, 
if they haven't already, your unresolved past, your unhealed wounds will catch up to you sooner or later. If they haven't already, the wounds, the pain, those unresolved issues, they will catch up with you sooner or later. Letting a wound fester is the worst thing that we can do for our families, for our communities, and even for ourselves. In fact, much of the chaos, the problems, and dysfunction that you are dealing with is due to an unhealed wound. These wounds, they come to us in, in different ways. Some are inflicted on us by a parent, some are passed down generationally, and some are of our own doing. But most of us try to ignore the, dis the, the, the wounds that we have. And we focus instead on the dysfunction. Our dysfunction looks like this. Addiction, anger, sexual immorality, anxiety, workaholism, and fill in the blank. We all know our dysfunction well. And we all have it. But those things are not the main problem. They are just symptoms of deeper issues. Terry Wardle goes on to say in that podcast, if you have the fruit of dysfunction, you have the root of wounding. If you have the fruit of dysfunction, you have the root of wounding. The, the problem I have seen with, with, with the church for so long was that we became obsessed with, with the symptoms. All we talked about and cared about was eradicating the symptoms from our lives and from our churches. But as long as the root goes untreated, the fruit will continue to grow back. We need to address the problem at the root, at the wound. The fruit doesn't have to continue to grow back. It doesn't have to be that way. Here's another quote that I came across. It says, dysfunction does not have to be your legacy. You may have been born into it, married into it, or created it yourself, but it does not have to be your destiny or your identity. And here's why. And I believe the answer is found in Psalm 147.3. It says that he, God, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Guys, today, rather than giving you a number of things for you to know and for you to do, I just wanted, you to, give the, get, I just wanted to give you the permission and invite you to feel, to feel before God, for you to come before him to express your rage, your pain, your wounds, and your doubts, and to say, God, can you do something with this? And here's the promise to you. If you come to him, if you come to him, he promises he promises to heal your broken heart and to bind up your wounds.
God doesn't want you to forgive your parents. Because he loves them more or, or because he's trying to get them off the hook. Some, it's very easy to view forgiveness as a harsh command from an insensitive God, but it's quite the opposite. God wants you to forgive your parents because he loves you deeply. And he knows that you can't fully thrive unless your wounds are healed. And so he, he invites you. Bring them to me. Come. Come. And what begins to happen in that moment of vulnerability in the presence of God, it's only the work of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier, your perspective will begin to change. You will receive the grace and the love and the power that can make it possible for you to forgive. What seems impossible right now to do in your own strength, we have a God who promises promises to heal our hearts and to bind up our wounds. We can trust him. We can come to him. Let's do that. Let me pray for us. We have a few extra minutes. So right where you are, with your head bowed, your eyes closed. Take a moment to process this, to, to lean into what you've just heard. The invitation. To bring our pain, our wounds to our Heavenly Father. Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to express, share? What is the wound that you just can't let go of? The Spirit of God is here with us, helping us. It's not something you're doing alone. We're doing this together as a community and with the help of our Father. Father, I just pray for your healing power to be with us, to fill us, to surround us, to comfort us, to walk us through this process of healing and forgiveness from our imperfect origins, God. Help us. God, you are trustworthy. You are faithful. We can't do this alone. We need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The band's going to lead us in a song. And feel free to stand. Feel free to stay seated. Feel free to continue to just open up your hands and say, God, I, I give it to you. My pain, my hurts, my doubts, I give them to you right now at this moment. Let's respond. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. 
I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco.